a strong preference is to do zero classes <laughs> September, October, November, and freak out December and January. <laughs> Welcome to The Extra Dimension, the show where we explore ways technology intersects with other parts of our lives, which we like to call the technological convergence. I am your host, Ian R. Buck, and goodness gracious, it has been a long time since I got to say that intro. Today we'll be talking about distance learning, and ironically, distance learning itself is the reason that we have not had a new episode of this show in almost a year. Um, So, if you'll recall, the last episode was all about working from home um, because many of us had transitioned to, uh, you know, work, working from home environment during the pandemic. Um, And my next episode was going to be all about uh, education during the pandemic. And I recorded a bunch of interviews with fellow teachers, with administration, a few parents, um, and uh, and I had all those ready to go, um, but then the new school year hit me in the face like a brick wall, and so I was never able to edit them into an episode, um, which means that I've, I've got a bunch of, you know, many hours of interviews, um, but most of them are not really as relevant now. So I won't be including a whole lot of of those in this episode, but if you do want to hear a snapshot of how people were feeling at the time, you know, in in August of uh, 2020, I've put the full unedited versions of those interviews in the fringe of this episode. Um, So you can find a link to the fringe uh, as well as all of the show notes for this episode of The Extra Dimension at thenexus.tv slash TED 56. All right, so we all know that the pandemic is what pushed us into distance learning. Um, And now in the summer of 2021, it seems like we are going to be at a point uh, in the fall where, at least in the United States, where uh, we'll be able to go back in person um, and the pandemic will not be too much of a concern. But that's not what we're here to talk about in this episode. So uh, in this episode, we're just going to talk about the experience of distance learning itself. Um, What are the challenges? What went well? What lessons can we carry forward into the future of education? Um, And uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about distance learning regardless of what kinds of extenuating circumstances there may be that would force us into distance learning. Um, or if we just decide to, you know, use distance learning model uh, on a day-to-day basis anyway. Speaking of using a distance model uh, on a day-to-day basis, uh, one of the interviews that I conducted last summer was with a former uh, housemate of mine, Peter Westby, who works as a teacher at the Minnesota Online High School, um, which, you know, as the name implies, is an entire school that is all online and always has been. And so I was really, really eager to pick his brains and learn about like what what kinds of things does the Minnesota Online High School do um, differently than, than other in-person schools and what, what models do they use and everything. Um, so let's, let's actually hear a little bit from that interview because that stuff uh, definitely still applies um, and we can definitely compare uh, his experiences to what the rest of us went through as we transitioned into distance learning. 
my name is Peter Westby, and I'm a instructional coach with Minnesota Virtual Schools. Um, I started out as a social studies teacher, and there I've been doing this role now for this is going to be my second year going in. I work with teachers one on one to help them develop their courses. My specialty is in the Moodle framework um, as a platform. So Minnesota Virtual School has been kind of its standalone school for about 10, 12 years. I'm not exactly sure the, uh, the exact start date. It's taken in a couple different iterations. And I, I want to say it was about 10 years ago, eight years ago, that they came under the wing of being part of the MTS district. So now we are not a standalone school as a virtual school. We, we work within a larger district of seven different schools, um, two of which are online schools all the time. Anyway, like Minnesota Virtual and Connections Academy is the other one. I phrase it to a lot of our staff is that we're not necessarily anyone's first choice. For students that, you know, have really busy schedules because they're in um, junior Olympics or semi-professional sports programs, um, we're kind of a first choice school. Otherwise, students are usually coming to us because something hasn't worked out in their local school district, right? So a, a lot of that population is either from Minneapolis public schools, from St. Paul public schools. Um, a lot in the western suburbs as well, so like uh, Eden Prairie, uh, Wyzetta, Maple Grove. Um, and then we have students from all across the state. Um, a lot of what it will attract them to us is that something hasn't been working at their regular school, um, whether it's that they have a serious disconnect with teachers. A lot of the times it's they're trying to pick up a work schedule because they need to support their family one way or another, and they just need a, a more flexible school schedule. They can't sit in the classroom eight to three because those are prime working hours for a lot of job places. And then you you do get a fair amount of students that um, are in due to various bullying or mental health situations that um, have suffered severe anxiety in the classroom. Um, and we have a lot of um, LGBTQ plus uh, members or students in our school. Um, where they've been bullied or they're they're going through a tough time, say like transitioning and looking to kind of help get some more support um, in their transition than they would at a regu their regular school district, especially as you get them further out state um, where that may be um, more frowned upon than in the Twin Cities. So we, we get a little bit of a grab bag of everything. So the nice thing about working online, um, as, but especially at our school, is we kind of write our own schedules. So we're, we're in a setting where um, there, there are two forms of online teaching, basically. It's synchronous or asynchronous. Synchronous being you're, you're trying to emulate the classroom environment as much as possible. You have a student log in at a specific time to like a Zoom call or I think Skype was more commonly used um, more when this started. Um, everyone sits in the Skype call together and you go through a 45, 50 minute lesson. Um, our middle school is kind of built that way. Um, but for the most of the high school, it's we've preloaded all the curriculum by day one. The whole class is in Moodle, ready to go, which makes curriculum development a little bit tricky because you're <laughs> always trying to do it a semester ahead, basically. And the students just access it as they're available. And we have some kind of minimum expectations uh, we communicate with them and the families on at least weekly basis of, hey, this is what you've gotten done this week. This is what you should have gotten done this week. Good job. Or let's see if we can, you know, get a teacher to reach out to you, figure out what's going on. How do we get you more on track, more on pace? So I have had students in the past where they decide to do 
um, you know, just one class at a time because that works best for them instead of their full load of six. And so I have kids that get done with my economics class by the time like October starts. Is, is there a strong preference one way or the other among your student population? <laughs> a strong preference is to do zero classes <laughs> September, October, November, and freak out December and January. <laughs> Most of our students will choose to do all classes at once. We strongly recommend do, they do that. Um, it's going to lead to the basically less gaps in learning. Uh, we already see in traditional education, summer's kind of this black hole of knowledge. And so if you start to emulate those things across a school year, then you're really going to have issues by the time that, you know, if you do all your math in September, by the time you might get math again next September, you're going to be in a really rough shape. Awesome. Thanks so much, Peter. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the models that we used at uh, Harding High School, at least. Most of what I'm going to talk about here in this episode uh, is going to be from from my personal experiences and what I have observed from, um, you know, talking with my uh, co-workers at Harding um, specifically. So... Yeah, throughout the whole the whole distance learning period, we went through several different models, but there were a couple of things that um, you know were consistent throughout the whole thing. Uh, so number one, teachers were always expected to chunk out their classes into week-long folders, um, and they would publish those folders on Schoology every Monday morning. Um, for me personally, this was the main reason that uh, this school year was so much work for me, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, also, throughout the whole thing, uh, students who were remote uh, were responsible for marking themselves as present in uh, Infinite Campus. That's the the system that we use for our attendance tracking. Um, so this was inherently disconnected from like whether or not those students came to like a live Google Meet or anything like that. Um, you know, as long as they logged into campus and marked themselves as present then they were marked as present for that day whether they did any any work or not um which you know is kind of similar to how it works in in the actual school building right you can totally come to class and then never do anything um and you still get marked as present because you're there um, but it did it that does mean that uh, it took me quite a while longer to learn most of my students names because i wasn't you know doing roll call every single day um, also, there was a much larger emphasis on the advisory teachers forging relationships with their uh, students and, and the families of those students to kind of help them uh, keep on track with, you know, with all of the work that they needed to be doing. Um, a lot of the advisory uh, periods ended up being, well, I don't know this for sure because I don't have an advisory class, but um, uh, what, what it looked like on the schedule was a lot of the advisory time was meant so that the students could kind of look over all of the folders that they had, that their teachers from all their classes had published for them and plan out, you know, which which pieces of work did they need to prioritize first and when were they going to try and get everything done etc cetera, etc cetera, and there and so their advisory teacher could kind of uh, help out with that um so during fourth quarter of the 2019 to 2020 school year so this was uh right after well in spps we uh were out of school for a while before the pandemic hit 
Minnesota because we were in the middle of a teacher strike as well. Um, so there were there were like three weeks even before Minnesota closed everything down uh, where we weren't in the classroom uh, in the first place. Um, so fourth quarter, though, we, we came back uh, to doing virtual school, distance learning. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so everything was virtual at that point. Um, and initially for for the for the end of that school year st paul public schools uh was directing teachers to not have synchronous classes at all right so we didn't have a scheduled time where our students were expected to come to a uh, video call and interact with their teachers um and the rest of their class uh live um but the teachers were offering office hours right um so I would just hang out in a Google Meet and students could drop in into that call whenever they needed to uh, if they had questions or were having problems. Um, but, you know, all of the the work that they were doing um, was just like I would uh, put instructions up in the in the weekly folder and uh, students would open that and read them and do whatever activities and assignments were in there. And then they would come to my office hours if they needed any help. Fast forward to fall semester of 2020 to 2021, um, we, uh, uh, SPPS changed things up a little bit. So at that point, we were having synchronous classes four days a week. Uh, and then we would also have um, one, one day a week would be an asynchronous day. Uh, and then we, we had a few, uh, we had office hours pretty much every day, I think, um, every day of the week for at least an hour, I think, was what, what all of the teachers were expected to do. Um, third quarter of uh, 2020 to 2021, um, they introduced uh, this I-Pass model, which was, you know, at, at that point, um, some teachers had had the chance to get vaccinated and the school board i think was feeling pressure from parents to to get students back into the classroom and stuff um so they introduced this thing called ipass which which wasn't it wasn't in-person classes it wasn't a hybrid model it wasn't all virtual it was um a a select population of students could sign up to be a part of the IPASS program. So they were prioritizing students, uh, you know, like English language learner students, um, special ed, uh, and also any any students who, you know, uh, usually had passing grades, but during distance learning, you know, may have been falling behind. Um, those students could sign up to, to come into the building two days a week, but they weren't like having classes um, they were sitting in a room with a couple of teachers who were there to assist if they needed anything um, but it was basically just quiet work time for these students um, which I, I think was a really positive thing for a lot of these students because um, as we'll talk about in a bit um, a lot of the challenges that came from distance learning just came down to um, a lot of students like their home environment is not uh, conducive to doing schoolwork all day um, but other than that, other than iPass, um, we still had synchronous classes four days a week, um, and uh, one day was uh, asynchronous, and then we did have to reduce the number of office hours that we were offering because uh, all of the teachers had to come in a couple of days a week for uh, to, to help facilitate iPass. 
Uh, and then in fourth quarter of 2020, 2021, um, we fully brought back in-person classes uh, four days a week, um, but students were still able to opt for staying remote. Um, and I know that, yeah, uh, I mean, my classes were less than half full for the most part. Um, and uh, so, yeah, you can tell that there were a lot of families who were still nervous about sending their kids back to uh, to the classrooms. Um and uh, and and even while we were there in the classrooms with all of all, with with half of our students, we were also uh, as teachers expected to serve our in-person students and our remote students equally uh, well. And um, so I, I know that some of my colleagues tried to kind of go back to doing their lectures um, in front of the class, doing activities in class, but also like having a Google Meet open where all of their remote students were there and they would, I guess, try to pay attention to like, you know, to what the students were saying in the chat in the Google Meet, as well as paying attention to like any questions that their students in the in the classroom had. Um, and I decided, you know, like, I wasn't going to be able to serve both of those groups equally well in that kind of model. So um, in order to serve everybody, what I did uh, was I just continued to put all of my uh, lessons and all of the activities up in Schoology as like video lessons, right? And so all of my students, whether they were in the classroom or whether they were at home, they would access those lessons on Schoology, they would do that work, and um, and then, you know, the students at home could come to my office hours uh, if they had questions, and the students who were in the classroom with me could just, you know, ask me while we were in class. So my classes ended up just being like quiet work time pretty much every day uh, where my students could ask me specific questions if they needed help. One thing that a lot of people seem to be very concerned with, uh, and and you know, one of the arguments for going back into in-person learning as soon as possible, is that we didn't want our students to like lose out on a to miss out on a whole school year, right? Uh, we didn't want them to fall behind from where they should be at in their curriculums. Um, I don't think that that is a particularly important thing to to talk about because um, you know we, we've seen student populations in other adverse uh, situations such as you know like students in the New Orleans area when Hurricane Katrina devastated that whole area and they missed out on pretty much a whole school year uh, worth of, of content. And, you know, while those those students um, did fall behind from, from, you know, where they would have been at uh, compared to their peers in other parts of the country uh, initially, you know, they very quickly catch up. Um, so... I'm not too worried personally about our students like, um, you know, missing some critical part of their math curriculum or whatever. Um, they will catch up. Don't worry about that. Um, but uh, we, we did see uh, some reports about like the number, the proportion of students who are receiving failing grades um, during distance learning being significantly higher than uh, students who were failing when we were all in person before. Um and uh, I, it is it is difficult to 
compare those things um, because I think partially in response to these concerns, uh, St. Paul Public Schools um, did kind of change. They, we relaxed our, our grading scales a little bit. So at Harding, at least, um, it became like uh, you had to get 50% in your classes or more in order to pass um, instead of 60%. Um, and then also... Um, all of the uh, D's and C's that any students may have earned, right, uh, those became P's. So just, just P for passing. But then any A's or B's that they earned would remain as A's and B's. And uh, the reason that admin uh, did that was because, you know, if a student was doing really well, they wanted that to be reflected in the GPA. Um, but if they, you know, barely scraped by, um, but were held back because of these unforeseen circumstances uh they didn't want that to to they didn't want their gpa to be punished for that reason um but yeah i uh i I tried looking at some of my numbers in my personal classes um and it's, it's a little bit difficult for me to compare because as it turns out uh when i look at old courses in schoology um well any of the students who have graduated are no longer in the Schoology system, their accounts just like get deleted, I guess. So I can't see what grades they got, you know, four years ago. Um, all of the students are just like, it's, it's, a, it's a course with no students in it because all of those students have graduated. But from what I can tell of uh, comparing, you know, classes from this last school year to classes in like the last two school years that still have most of the students in those classes um, listed in Schoology, uh, yeah, my classes went from having roughly half of the students passing to having usually uh, like a third to half of the students passing. So it was, it was noticeably lower, but it wasn't like catastrophically lower. Um, the thing that I did notice is that uh, during distance learning, most of my students either never turned in any work whatsoever and thus, of course, failed, uh, or they were totally on top of the ball game and um, got like an A or a B. So it, it, it really, like there, there was very little middle ground between those two extremes. And I do wonder uh, how much of that is, just comes down to the fact that, I mean, I'm teaching elective classes, right? So um, some of the students who, you know, could handle some workload, but not like a full workload uh, during distance learning, they may have been focusing on their core classes, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, I totally get it. Computer tech, like, you don't you don't need that as long as you have a tech credit sometime in the four years that you uh, take that you're in high school. Uh, you know, that that uh, is all that you need in order to graduate. Um, but you know, for like English and math, you need all four years of those uh, to graduate. So I don't blame any of my students, um, you know, for prioritizing things that way. All right, let's briefly touch on the digital divide um, because, of course, yes, distance learning is a scenario where um, the the problems of the digital divide uh, really come into play. Um, so in order for distance learning to be successful, it is imperative that your school not only be a one-to-one -one school, right, where they have a computer that they have given to each student, um, but also those schools 
need to be able to provide internet access to students who don't have it at home already or who have you know internet access that isn't fast enough right um, so at SPPS we already had uh, you know a one-to-one -one program with uh, the school iPads now they did have to scramble a little bit um, in third quarter of 2019-2020 uh, uh, because uh, there was a shortage of hotspots. They did have some hotspots to distribute to families, but they didn't have enough uh, for for all the families that requested them. So um, there was kind of a, a waiting time while SPPS ordered more of those. Um, but on the whole, uh, I think SPPS um, had most of the physical infrastructure in place already to, to make this work. However, a lot of the districts... Mm, poor software decisions held us back at the beginning. Um, so for example, before the pandemic, right, SPPS, we have Google accounts for all of the staff and all of the students, right? Um, which is great, you know, because we can use uh, Google Docs and Google Drive and, you know, all those collaborative tools very effectively. Um, but there are a few uh, Google products that SPPS administration had disabled uh, intentionally, right? So Hangouts was one of those, um, which I was kind of shocked by when I first uh, started working at SPPS and I had to do a few projects where I was collaborating with teachers from other buildings and we were trying to figure out how, like what platform we could all hop onto a video call together so we could talk about what we were working on. And um, that's when I discovered that Hangouts doesn't work on SPPS accounts. Um, so before the pandemic, even SPPS teachers didn't have a way of video calling each other um, short of like, you know, using their own outside of the district uh, accounts and systems to do that. Um, now, yeah, as soon as we started uh, teaching from home, they activated Google Meet, which um, also, to be fair, I mean, Google Meet wasn't really yet ready for everything that we were going to throw at it. Uh, it, it didn't have uh, really feature parity with Zoom. Um, Zoom was very well positioned at the beginning of this pandemic to serve a lot of what people needed all of a sudden. Um, but uh, but over the course of the next few months, um, yeah, Google Meet added a lot of, of features. Um, and so by, by fall of 2020, uh, it was it was a very, very useful tool um, and could do pretty much everything that we needed to uh, in order to manage our classes online. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the episode as well. Now, cybersecurity is a big aspect of um, schools being ready for distance learning. And let's be honest, cybersecurity is not something that school districts have excelled at in the past. Um, how about those printers, Ryan? So, yeah, this is the kind of thing that, um, you know, both both school districts and also the, like, tech companies that they contract with, you know, are going to need to uh, really focus on, on making sure that they are getting all of this right um, going forward. Uh, so that, you know, because there, there is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of... Um, sensitive information about our students, um, you know, all of their their class records and their grades and everything and, and whatnot that only the, the families um, of those students are supposed to have access to that stuff. So, uh, yeah, cybersecurity, something that uh, I think 
schools are going to have to put more more resources into to make sure that they are uh, doing that well. Now, I didn't hear anything, uh, you know, over the last year about any school districts getting hit with like, you know, major breaches or anything like that. Um, but that doesn't mean that it, it can't happen in the future. Now, how prepared were the families for this? Um, boy, uh, yeah, there, there were there were a lot of challenges, I think, that families faced during all of this. Um, one thing is that, well, students suddenly needed like a dedicated space to do all of their work at home. Um, and uh, yeah, not not everybody had that kind of setup. If you've got a, a few kids in the house who only need to do homework for a couple of hours in the evenings, right, it's pretty reasonable for them to just like do that at the dining room table or something. Um, but uh, if everybody's at home all the time, then uh, it, it suddenly becomes much more important for everybody to have like their own space and i know that not all families were able to um to accommodate that in in their home situation um here in St. Paul, the city actually reached out to um, a, an organization uh, called the Tool Library um, to have them uh, just quickly build like 600 desks for St. Paul students, um, which is a pretty awesome, uh, pretty awesome program. Um, but even so, like you can't just like build, uh, you know, three new rooms in a home uh, in order for everybody to have like their own dedicated office space. So yeah, families that have lots of kids uh, were hardest hit, I would say. Um, because yeah, like I, I've, I had several students like when they came to my office hours um, and when they unmuted themselves to, to ask me whatever questions they had, like I, I could barely hear myself think overall of like the background noise from especially students who because I, I teach high schoolers um but you know this this those students who had like younger siblings who are still in like elementary school or preschool or whatever right you know they're pretty loud um and uh so that's not a great environment for trying to get your own uh work done especially if you are expected to like help provide childcare um in your house and that's something I think that was a little bit specific to, you know, the pandemic situation because everybody was home. Um, but, uh, you know, going forward, um, I, it seems likely that, you know, most of our elementary school students, probably junior high students, right, um, will be like in in-person uh, learning environments. Um, but, uh, you know, I noticed that a lot of high schoolers are independent enough that you know distance learning would might work better for them um and so in that situation then uh you know if, if all the other kids are out of the house um i can totally see like a high schooler being able to be really successful uh doing their work from home now how prepared were the teachers um well, some of us were, you know, very prepared in the sense that we already had all of our materials uh, digitally, right? Um, and, you know, we, we were already using, everybody was supposed to be using Schoology as much as possible. And, I mean, me as a computer tech teacher, of course, you know that I was definitely uh, only distributing stuff to my students uh, digitally. 
Um, I mean, literally, like at the beginning of my classes, I often say to my students, like, welcome to computer tech. If I end up have, handing you a piece of paper sometime during this school year, then I have failed you as a computer tech teacher. Um, and that was doubly true during, uh, during distance learning. But for like teachers who have, you know, for example, classroom sets of books that they needed to distribute to their students, that was, uh, you know, an added logistical challenge. Um, and the school had to figure out how to, yeah, how to get those materials to students at home. Um, I have absolutely no idea how teachers that were doing like pottery classes or auto tech or, you know, things where it's like, wow very specific specialized equipment that uh, students are only going to have access to if they are at school. I have no idea how those teachers did did their classes uh, during distance learning. But yeah, for me personally, um, I could have coasted by just, you know, distributing all of the written materials that I already had for my students that I had always given out. Um, but I did start to realize that a lot of the written materials, um, both stuff that I myself wrote, but also stuff that was that was from like curricula that um, that I had bought. Um, a lot of times, written materials that are that are kind of guiding you through how to do a particular thing on a computer uh, are are a little bit confusing, right? It's not always clear like where on the screen you're supposed to look to find whatever button it is that you're supposed to push. Um, and that wasn't really a problem before when we were all in the classroom together because like a student who was confused could just raise their hand and I would walk over and in five seconds I could like point out where on the screen they're supposed to click. Um, but when we're all at home, if a student gets confused, then they have to figure out, okay, when is Mr. Buck's office hours? When can I join a, a, a call with him to ask him this question? And then when they do ask the question, they have to then like screen share with me so that I can see what they're working on. And then I have to describe where on the screen they have to click and yada, yada, yada. So um, yeah, I decided that it would be a good idea for me to make video tutorials out of most of my lessons. So that's where a lot of my energy went over the last school year was producing video versions of most of the activities. Um, the other place where uh, a lot of my my energy went was just like having to rechunk all of my classes into week-long segments um, because what I was used to doing before we started doing distance learning was just like okay I am going to put whatever assignment up on Schoology and I set a due date because I know that this one is going to take us about a week and a half and so then a week and a half later when we finish with that assignment then I put the next assignment up on Schoology and you know then my students start working on that one instead and when we're expected to have everything that a student is going to need for the entire week uploaded and ready for them to look at on Monday morning, then that means that I have to start thinking about the entire semester all as a whole, and I need to like create all of my folders like two weeks in advance and schedule all of this stuff to publish on the correct day and everything. And then if there's something that spans multiple weeks, then I have to like move it from one folder to the next when we get to that new week. And it was like, yeah, that was a huge part of, of the work that I did this last school year was just like rechunking my, uh, my curricula into week long segments, which was, um, 
you know, it was useful for my students, I think, because then they they had documents, like each folder had a document that explains what all of the assignments are in one place. Um, but it did hold me back from being able to keep on top of, like, grading everything in a timely manner uh, and being able to, like, do other work outside of class, like making podcast episodes. So, yeah, um, that is something that if I continue having to chunk everything out into week-long segments, um, that is something that I'll definitely make an effort to get done during the summer before the school year even starts so that I don't have to worry about that uh, during the school year. All right, let's talk about classroom management on video calls. So um, Google Meet is the platform that uh, at SPPS we were using. Um, and, uh, and it, it, you know, it makes perfect sense because we already have the Google Suite available to us. And that allows us to, like, like all of the, the teacher uh, accounts are able to have different sets of permissions than the student account, so it's a very good system for that already. Um, and uh, so yeah, so for example, like teachers can start a Google Meet call. Students cannot start one on their own. They can join an already existing call that a teacher has created, um, but they can't just like hop into a call on their own with their friends, right? Um, and uh, Google Meet also has a lot of tools that allows teachers to like mute students um, or allowing them uh, to post in the chat or not, um, all kinds of stuff like that, you know, screen sharing or no screen sharing, right? Those are all tools. Those are all settings that um, the teachers get in within that uh, Google Google Meet call. Um, also, uh, we, we were able to create calls not just based on like links that somebody has to click on, but also we can just create calls based on a like nickname, right? You can give a call, you can create a call using a code that you make up, right? So like all of my, um, like my first hour programming classes were always IRB programming one, right? IRB being my initials, programming being which, which topic it is and then one being uh what class period it was and so then all of my students um could type in that code uh and and join the call and as long as there was a call that i had already created during that time then they would be able to join if they if i had not created that yet then they would get a message saying that call doesn't exist uh and that works because like we're all in the same domain right everybody with an email address that ends in stpaul.k12.mn.us right we're all in the same like google enterprise domain um, so if i wanted to invite any guest speakers to my uh, classes i couldn't just give them the code and have them type in the code i would have to send them the link uh, for that particular um, call now let's talk about the experience of, um, yeah, actually managing those classes. Um, number one, getting students to actually turn on their cameras during class. That was like pulling teeth. I decided that, that was not something that was going to be super important to me. Um, Jamboard was a, a great tool. Um, so Jamboard basically just like gives you a, a virtual whiteboard that everybody who is in the call 
uh, can can draw on all together. Um, students uh, seemed to enjoy participating in those. At least they they participated in those at much higher rates than most of the other things that I tried. Um, breakout rooms also a very useful tool. Um, and I particularly I really like how breakout rooms makes it very easy to like truly randomize small groups or pairs um, instead of just like kind of it's you know, when we're all in the classroom together, it's very easy to default to having students just gravitate towards the other students who are sitting near them. Um, and yeah, uh, I I knew that because not all of my students were able to come to our classes, uh, our live classes, when they were scheduled, um, you know, anytime that I had like a, a lesson or a lecture that I was giving in class, um, I made sure to record all of those. And then I would um, actually, all of the teachers were encouraged if they, if they did have any recorded materials that they were going to give to their students, we were supposed to upload them to YouTube um, because YouTube has automatic captioning. Um, and, you know, for, for accessibility uh, purposes, you know, we're supposed to have everything captioned and, um, Gosh, you you think that a teacher's going to have enough time to like go back and manually write captions for uh, a a class like that? No, no way. Um, so we relied heavily on the the YouTube captioning system. Something that I was really surprised about and kind of am still distressed by is that uh, there's quite a few students who like as soon as I have them unmute their mic to you know make whatever comment, contribute to whatever discussion we're having. Um, as soon as they're unmuted, you know, I would hear a periodic chirp in the background of like their smoke alarm that has low batteries. And, uh, you know, I would point that out to those students like, hey, it sounds like your smoke alarm needs needs its battery changed. And they would be like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, can you hear the chirping? And they're like, no, I don't hear the chirping. Um, so uh, apparently there's a lot of families who just like just kind of let their smoke alarms sit around with low batteries and they never change the batteries. And they just they've become so accustomed to the chirping that they can't hear it anymore and um i am very stressed uh on their behalf for that now one thing that i definitely definitely knew was going to be a challenge or at least it wasn't going to happen naturally is building a community building relationships with these students right um because when we're all in a classroom together, there's just, you know, there's there's naturally some amount of, uh, you know, chit chat that happens between uh, me and the students, between students who are sitting near each other, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and also like just when we're walking around in the hallways. Right. And, and students can uh, hang out with each other for the five minutes in between classes. Um, so. I started looking around for like strategies um, for for community building uh, opportunities in uh, virtual classrooms. And one thing that we did at Harding kind of building wide was uh, during everybody's advisories, um, the students were asked to make a, a brief little slideshow about themselves so that they could share some stuff. Um, all of the teachers also made um, slideshows about ourselves. Um, so I've, I've included a link to, to the slideshow that I made uh, in the show notes. So go ahead and check that out if you like. Um, 
but you know beyond that like that's that was just at the beginning of the semester um so i started looking for other ways that we could um you know have like schoology discussions on a regular basis um whenever it would make sense especially for the the content that we were talking about in the class, um, I would create a Schoology discussion and, and allow the students to put their thoughts about that thing into that discussion. Um, this was particularly easy in my game design class because, like, students have opinions about games. I, I don't know if you've heard, but, like, you know, you ask, you ask students to give you uh, an example of, like, a game that uh, does balancing really well, and uh, they will have all kinds of... Actually, if you, if you ask them what games do not balance things well they'll have a lot to say <laughs> um but you know other other things that are not even related to the uh content itself right um you know some like some weeks i could put up a prompt that's like hey post a picture of your pet uh in this you know like i would create a, a slideshow and then everybody would have uh their own slide within that slideshow and everybody could like post a picture of their pet um we could just share some memes we could um you know have like a, a pointless debate right something that doesn't really matter but we can still you know uh debate it anyway right that kinds of thing um would you know i would i would make an effort to uh, create like little assignments that that weren't really worth any points, but just gave the students an opportunity to kind of interact with each other. Um, unfortunately, you know, in in a pretty structured way. Um, but because those were the only like points of contact that most of my students had with each other, uh, I had to to create those scenarios for them. surveillance tools and proctoring oh man this was a big topic that um a lot of people were talking about this school year and uh you know what it's all bs don't do it if you're if you're a teacher uh and and you know you are trying to ensure that your students are not cheating on a test or whatever don't do it there's there's no way to like equitably uh and and you know in, in in a way that doesn't uh invade somebody's privacy as well like you you just can't do it um you can't ensure that students are not going to be cheating on tests so you know what don't give tests tests suck um make give the students a project an activity that will demonstrate their mastery of whatever topic it is now for me it's easy for me to say that because um my computer tech classes right like we're learning about a lot of technical skills and then I can just give them a project like, hey, we're going to make a podcast episode now and you have to demonstrate all of the things, the individual pieces that we uh, all went over in all of your formative activities. Uh, you're going to have to integrate those into the podcast episode that you're making. Um, so yes, I acknowledge that it, it is pretty easy for me to stand up here and be like, no, tests are bad. Um for, for, you know, your math teachers and your science teachers and whatever, uh, you know, you're going to have to do a little bit of work to think about how you can um, measure a student's understanding of the concepts that you're giving them without a test. But I'm, I'm here to tell you that it can be done. Um, so, yeah, tests don't work so well in uh, distance learning environments. Now, I'm 28 years old. Uh, I graduated 10 years ago. And something that I kept thinking about 
uh, as we were doing this whole distance learning thing this last school year is if this pandemic had hit when I was in high school, so that would have been that you know 2007 to 2011 range. Um, how how would distance learning have gone in that you know given the technology and the systems that we had in place at the time? Um, what would it what would have been like? So um, thinking about the tools, you know, especially the digital tools that were available to us, um, Google Docs was a thing. But it wasn't very popular yet, and it was very, very basic. You know, you could write papers, but it wasn't going to be anything fancy. Um, I don't even remember if you could do like headers and footers yet. Um, but, but those th- that collaborative, like being able to edit a document at the same time as somebody else, you know, and and be able to see all of the changes that both of you were making, like that was a feature that was baked into Google Docs from the beginning. So really, like the core of that collaborative tool was already in place. Um, so that's really good, but just about everything else didn't exist yet, right? Dropbox. Uh, I remember Dropbox came out, I think when I was like a junior in high school and it was like revolutionary. Oh my gosh. Like the cloud storage. What is that? I can, I, I have a whole two gigabytes of storage, like on somebody else's server that I can just upload anything I want. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's a pitiful amount of uh, storage in, here in 2021. Um, also, I mean, even though I had a Dropbox account at the time, uh, not everybody had Dropbox accounts. And there wasn't a, you know, the the, the school district didn't have uh, a system that they were already paying for for everybody. So um, there wouldn't it wouldn't have been nearly as easy uh, for students and staff to like collaborate on things and be able to share files with each other. Um, video conferencing? Nah, no way. Um, you know, we, we had one-on-one video calling in Skype, but uh, I mean, like, v- group video calling wasn't really a thing yet, and certainly we didn't have any any platforms that had the broad tool set uh, that Zoom had of like you know having one person who is like the host who can control what everybody else is able to do in the call. Um, video calling at that time was still just kind of envisioned as oh yeah you just you you want to like call a few other family members or your friends like that's all that it was built for um classroom cmss uh like like schoology for example that's the one that we use in in spps um I think they probably existed. Moodle's Moodle's been around for a long time, right? Um, but they weren't really widely used, at least not in SPPS. We didn't have any. Um, I remember that like my senior year of high school was the first time that one of my teachers allowed us to turn in an assignment via email. And it was due by midnight on a particular day. And that was my kind of like glimpse into the future of, oh, oh. I should be able to just like work on whatever it is that I'm doing at whatever time is convenient for me at home. And I should be able to just turn it in, even if it's not like in class on that particular day. Why do I even need to use a printer? You know, like that that was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. Um, and now here I am as a teacher and I'm just like, yeah, I mean, upload it to Schoology, whatever. Um 
I, I can't imagine from from the teacher's perspective um, if you wanted all of your students to turn everything in digitally, but we didn't have a centralized content management system like Schoology, you know, that would have been a nightmare uh, because I would have had to be like kind of keeping track of, of emails and I would have to like be sorting those into different folders probably to like, you know, keep track of like which ones were turned in on time and which ones I had already graded and where were those grades. I, I would have had to like maintain my own spreadsheet probably like, ugh, what on earth? Um, yeah, no, no, thank you. Um, also, I mean, just like, just the fact that in, in, in 2010, my family still had dial up at home. And so I imagine that, yeah, it was a much higher proportion probably of families that either didn't have internet or had very, very slow internet at home um, back in the late aughts. Um, so that would have been a huge, huge challenge uh, for, for making distance learning work at that time. So um, if you ask me, uh, yeah, we were, we were uniquely positioned here in the, in the, 2020 to 2021 school year um for for distance learning to really really work well um and it was still a heck of a challenge now something that i uh, had learned about not too long before the pandemic hit, but ended up being a very useful way of conceptualizing my classes during uh, distance learning is the flipped classroom model. So um, if you think about like the, the traditional class model, um, you've got a teacher, you've got a bunch of students in the room, the teacher lectures at the students, gives them all the information, right? Teaches them the stuff, and then they give homework, right? And so the homework is what reinforces it's it's the the interactive part of of it, right? Where the students are engaging with that concept and putting it to work uh, in whatever activities the the teacher gave them, right? Um, now, flipped classroom model, uh, the teacher gives the students like either video or audio lessons, right, for them to watch or listen to at home. And then when everybody's in the classroom together, uh, then that's work time. And so the students uh, are, are engaging with those concepts that uh, hopefully they already watched at home. And they, um, you know, the advantages of this system, especially when we're in a, in a physically in a classroom together, is that... Um, because the work time is in the classroom, the students now have access to somebody who is an expert in that content area, right? Um, if you think about the experience of asking your parents for help with your trigonometry homework, right? How many of your parents remember trig? Like, a lot of us think of ourselves as like, oh yeah, I'm pretty good at math, but like as soon as as soon as a uh, a student in grade school <laughs> asks you for help, you realize, I don't remember what the Pythagorean theorem was. Um, and so, so yeah, like it, 
it, it removes that frustrating aspect of trying to do that homework because you can ask your teacher for help and they can help clarify things as you're working on it. Um, and also it becomes kind of a more uh, enjoyable experience. Like I, I've heard that a lot of um, parents enjoy like watching these lessons with their kids because then that's that's a fun way for them to kind of share share that um, experience and, and kind of get a little refresher on that topic, but without having to actually do the work. Um, it's the student who has to do the work once they get to school. Um, so, yeah, uh, this was a very useful thing for, for me to keep in mind uh, when we were doing uh, distance learning. Um, most of the lessons that I ended up giving uh, were, were video tutorials that um, I gave to my students in, in our weekly folder and I told them, okay, watch this. Uh, and then, you know, most of our in-class periods became either like class discussion time, which is something that you can only do when everybody's together, or it became just like quiet work time and, you know, you unmute yourself and come to me if you uh, need, need some help with whatever it is that you're working on. Um, so, yeah, like because because six hours in a school building isn't the same as like six hours on video calls. So um, trying to trying to make all of those video calls into like, you know, a 45 minute lecture. Mm, that's not a recipe for success um, for our students. Um, so, yeah, taking advantage of like what video calls excel at and and getting rid of the stuff that they are not so good at um is is key to making this work uh the the flip side of this is that i guess i guess that all of the teachers are video producers now um whether we like it or not i mean i i guess so for for a lot of content areas it's possible to find good quality video lessons about those particular um topics um, for, for something like me, where it's a little bit more of a niche topic, um, and I have very, and you know, I'm not like, I'm not, as a computer tech teacher, I'm not teaching to state standards, right? The way that math or English or whatever are. Um, so I ended up producing a lot of my own video tutorials because then I could ensure that like, okay, everything that I want my students to know is going to be in this video and there isn't going to be any extra stuff that they can ignore, right? Um, so so that has been kind of a, an adventure for me is going from somebody who only ever thinks about producing audio to somebody who uh, is now producing far more video than I ever wanted to in my life. Um, but we're making it through. And because this whole flipped classroom model works well, you know, both in distance learning, but also uh, when we're all in person, I think I'm going to continue using it uh, in future school years. Um, and also like the fact that the video tutorials are much less confusing than like the written materials that I used to give my students. I'm, I think I'm going to take my video lessons that I that I produced over the last year and a half and I'm going to spruce them up a little bit and I will be releasing them publicly as video podcast feeds so um, keep your eyes open for that uh, the, I, those will be appearing on the nexus.tv as like you know a, a video podcast that you can 
download those videos directly and everything and, and use them however you want. Um, I'll also be putting them up on our YouTube channel um, for, for anybody who is uh, more inclined to use that platform. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll also like, I'll be announcing each of these series because I'll have one for each of the different curricula that I run, right? There'll be one for like game design. There'll be one for podcasting. There'll be one for general computer tech stuff. There'll be one for programming. Um, and so each of those, as I uh, get around to publishing each of those publicly, um, I'll be putting up episodes here on the Extra Dimension, um, letting you know that uh, that those are now available. So um, yeah, stay stay subscribed to the Extra Dimension here if you want to uh, hear about each of those when they when they do go live. Um, and actually, this this does uh, have a little bit of an effect for the production cycle of the Extra Dimension itself. Um, before before summer of 2020, you know, we were fairly consistently coming out with uh, an episode of the Extra Dimension once a month. Um, then we had like a nine-month hiatus here where I was focusing on uh, distance learning. Um, but uh, now, uh, since I'm going to be producing some, you know, video podcast feeds, but those are going to be limited run. Um, so while I'm working on those, I, I will be having to focus more heavily on those and I won't have as much time to dedicate to the extra dimension. So the extra dimension will probably not be going back to a monthly schedule um, for the foreseeable future at least um, but I, I will be attempting like I've got a few episodes uh, in mind that are very interesting and and I, I really want to make them uh, you know and, and I don't want it to take like five years for me to make those episodes so um, you know the, these will be more occasional probably won't be monthly but um, you know we, we shouldn't have another like nine-month hiatus or anything like that uh, for the extra dimension. Now, one major effect I think that, that this is going to have on our education system is that snow days are going to be a thing of the past. Um, so starting in school year 2021 to 2022, um, SPPS has been authorized to transition into distance learning in the event of inclement weather, right? Um, this didn't help for the last few days of 2020 to 2021, of course, where we had, uh, because of the big heat wave here, <laughs> um, SPPS decided that we weren't going to send students back into the buildings for the last few days of the school year, um, but also we weren't approved to go into distance learning. Um, and so it became this kind of weird... Well, students aren't like teachers aren't allowed to give students any new work to do, but also it was only the last three days of school. So like the teachers had already given the students all of the work that they wanted them to do. So like, you know, it ended up being the same workload anyway. Um, and that's honestly probably what like snow days will become in the future is like if if I have already as a teacher, if I have already created all of the assignments and I put them up in Schoology and they are in the weekly folder, they've been available since Monday morning, right? You know, if we end up having like a snow day in the middle of that week, then it's not going to be like the end of the world. My students don't have to 
stop working on that thing. It doesn't have to bump that assignment back by a day or two um, because they can still work on that thing at home, no problem. Um, and, you know, like in that event, we might not even have, uh, you know, a live class, um, but I might, you know, just hang out in office hours for the entire day or something like that, you know, and, and my students would just be working on whatever assignments I had already given them. Um, I know that not everybody is thrilled by this idea. CGP Gray had an entire video where he was um, labeling this. This is a crime against childhood. I mean, that's a, that's a little dramatic if you ask me. Um, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world. Like, you know, Gray was comparing this to like, well, when I was a kid, you know, and like if it, when we a snow day was announced, we were all very excited. We could just like go outside and play all the time. And I'm like, okay, but like when when I had snow days, what did I do? I just like, I did homework. I, I spent the day catching up on work that I needed to do for, for school. So like, it's not, it's not all that different, right? I... Or was that just me? Was I the only person who like did homework during school days? I don't know. Um, but I think that's that's definitely where we're headed in the future. Is uh, we'll be able to we'll be able to at least not lose um, work time uh, due to not being able to be in the in the building all the time. So, yeah, some final thoughts. I've been thinking about how school districts could take advantage of distance learning models, um, even if they didn't take the route of, like, creating an entire high school that is all online. You know, I was thinking about um, what if we had, uh, you know, uh, a few teachers who, like, particularly for... Um, content areas like mine where, you know, computer tech, um, not every student is taking, like most of the students in the building are not taking computer tech class at any given time, right? Um, and sometimes it is difficult to fill all of those classes. Um, and also like across the district, if you've got like a very small school, um, like maybe open world learning, for example, right? Um, they don't have any dedicated like computer tech or, or computer programming teachers there in that building. Um, but, you know, what if we could consolidate the students from you know multiple different schools who all want to take you know a programming class um, maybe that class could be an online class and so then those students uh, no matter what building they're in right they would just kind of go to a study hall um, to work on the the materials for that class um, at that time uh, and and uh, and then you know that teacher could be available uh, to have office hours, or maybe they would have um, a live class if they can, you know, if they can coordinate that between the different buildings. Um, but I think that, that that might be an interesting model um, where, you, you know, you could have one teacher who has students from multiple different locations across the district. Um, I think that might be a, a good a good way to leverage uh, this distance learning expertise that we have now uh, built up in 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 our education system. Um, distance learning obviously is not the best uh, scenario for everybody. There definitely were students who did well. Um, I personally found like I thought that it was a uh, an environment that I, as a teacher, 
could thrive in. Um, and now that I have gotten past the point where I, you know, have had to create a bunch of video tutorials for all of my lessons, um, now that I already have that collection of video tutorials and I'm going to be releasing them uh, as as video podcasts, um, you know, that's, that's work that I'll be able to draw on in the future, whether I'm in a classroom physically or if I am doing distance learning. Um, and so now that I've done that work, I, f- I think that I would like to continue doing distance learning. Um, and as such, I was very, very excited when uh, SPPS announced that they were going to have an online-only high school uh, starting in the school year 2021 to 2022. Um, and so I started keeping an eye on the um, the job postings that SPPS was putting out. And, uh, and when I saw that they had a computer tech position open for that online high school, I applied for it. I just sent that application in this morning uh, as, of, as of recording time. So hopefully next school year, I'll be continuing to work from home. I'll be uh, working at, at this online high school. Um, and, you know, like it, it, I'm sure that, that there'll be folks who w- will say like, well, now I'll, like the students at, at Harding, right, are losing out on, on having um, a good computer tech teacher. Um, and it, it may be very difficult for Harding to find a replacement, but it, it's probably going to be equally as difficult for like the online high school to find a computer tech teacher. Um, we're in short supply right now. Um, but also like, you know, I, I kind of feel like I owe it to the students who, who are in the high online high school because they want to be right. Cause they have like, you have to sign up for this school specifically. Um, and so I want to make sure that those students are served by uh, at least one teacher who you know is is enjoying this environment and is you know I'm doing my best to serve them as well as I can uh, in in this distance learning environment. Um, not that you know I'm not saying that like other teachers have been doing a bad job, but you know it like if you, if you've got a teacher who you know thinks that well we'd all be better off uh, just being in the classroom, um, you know then. Maybe they haven't tried out all of the all of the different methods and tools that they could be using uh, to make distance learning, uh, you know, a good experience. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of the Extra Dimension. I have been your host, Ian R. Buck. You can find me on Twitter as Ian R. Buck. This episode is released under a Creative Commons attribution license, so feel free to use any or all of it as you see fit, as long as you link back to the original page, which uh, once again is thenexus.tv slash TED56. If you would like to discuss this episode with uh, other listeners, you can do so on our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash thenexustv. And uh, if you are willing and able to support us financially as we continue to make technology-focused podcasts, uh, you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash TV. Come back for our next episode, which should be uh, <laughs> an episode all about how to make podcasts. And that is going to also kind of kick off uh, the video tutorial lesson um, series about, uh, about podcasting. So until next time, have a good one.
the Nexus, the Nexus, the Nexus TV podcasts from, from the, the technological, technological convergence. convergence. We're presented with so many choices in our lives. How do we make sure we're making sound decisions? By getting a second opinion from an informed source, of course. Lucky for you, the hosts from across the Nexus use lots of hardware, software, and media, and analyze them on our show, Second Opinion. From reviewing the latest phones and laptops to pitting apps against each other, we've got you covered. Find us on our website, thenexus.tv, or by searching for Second Opinion Reviews in your favorite podcast player.